Hello and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment program center in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Carter Umhau, a therapist, artist, and writer. And today I'm talking with Opal co-founders Kara Bazzi and Julie Church. We're going to be exploring the nuances of indirect communication through a radically open dialectical behavioral therapy lens. Definitely a mouthful, but the idea here is thinking about how we say what we mean and how we don't say what we mean and how that actually is a form of control. Kara, can you start us off by giving us some context about indirect communication within the RO world? Yes. So I'll start by outing myself that this is new material for me. We just got done with our second intensive week of training of our ODBT. And so I'm learning this type of language, I guess, but it's not new material, if that makes sense, because I definitely found myself in this material and have lots of connection to it and examples in my own life, but the language is new. So Absolutely. And and just for listeners that haven't maybe listened all the way through to every episode that we've done, RODBT is we're gonna keep referring to it probably as RO and RODBT and radically open and you know all these different things. But it's all the same and it's a treatment modality that Opal implements in a lot of different ways throughout our programming mm-hmm. because of its emphasis on the over-controlled temperament. Right. And I will say that I relate to the over-controlled temperament. (laughs) Okay. So this indirect communication is trying to highlight how we might say something matters more than what we say, potentially. Some of the language Aro brings in is disguised demands and hiding intentions. And those two things can obviously negatively impact interpersonal relationships. And they're difficult to challenge because they have plausible deniability. Yeah, I (laughs) I feel like those phrases in and of themselves, they're a bit hefty in a way. Mm -hmm. But at the heart of it, it sounds like people using indirect communication, nonverbals to communicate something about what they want or don't want. Yes. In order to control an outcome? Yeah. So a lot of (laughs) over-controlled individuals will signal things discreetly. So, for example, they can mask, hide, or de-amplify their inner feelings, making it harder for people to know their real intentions. And in there, too, there can be disguised demands as a form of controlling other people, which sounds pretty harsh. <laughs> but when I really think about it, I, I again, I, I relate to using that at times and not being aware. And so I think... Part of our hope in bringing this into the podcast is to be able to recognize the times that maybe we are using um, disguised demands or hiding some of our intentions and finding that as an inroad to use potentially as an invitation to use more direct communication because these disguised demands or hidden intentions in general are not effective for getting actually what you do want in relationship and having healthy communication. If you want that. If you want it. <laughs> Which I, yeah. say, I say that as a joke, but I also mm-hmm. say that because I think a lot of people will use indirect communication to communicate hard stuff that they don't really want to say directly. Totally. Intentionally. Like there's a joke in my family about my grandfather who whenever you'd say something to him and he disagreed, he'd go, mm, we'll see. Yeah. Or could yes. be. <laughs> could yes. be. Could be. 
And for those of us that are more (laughs) air on the polite side, like being indirect can be seen as polite. I mean, when when I think about what made it scary for me to be more direct is there's a concern about that inducing conflict or potentially offending somebody or it felt more risky than kind of being more discreet or quote unquote polite. So let's get into some of the specifics around what different types of indirect communication could look like. Mm-hmm. We've used some of this language on the podcast before, but pushbacks and don't hurt me is are two categories that we've yes. spoken to a little bit. Yeah. So both pushbacks and don't hurt me's have a, a function. They're used to block unwanted feedback or requests to join the community. And so like a pushback, the, the way we would define that is in like uh, just day-to-day terms, I'm not telling you what to do, but you better do what I want or else is kind of what a pushback is communicating. That's the subtext. And a don't hurt me is you don't understand my suffering. I just can't do what you want. Right. So those are two different variations of blocking unwanted feedback. So Kara, can you actually give more of an example of what this sounds like? Yeah. I, you know, Julie and I were talking before and I thought we could role play it. Me and her. Okay. Hi, Julie. <laughs> Hi. Hi, everybody. Since we have a lot of communication together, me and you, Julie, let's role play. Okay. Which one first? Let's start with Don't Hurt Me because that one is more in my wheelhouse. Okay. Naturally. Okay. So I'm going to be the one giving the Don't Hurt Me. Yes. And I'm going to be asking for something. I haven't decided mm-hmm. yet what I'm going to ask. <laughs> Uh, Kara, could you do me a favor? I'm looking for some help this afternoon in this group, and I just need another person to be in there, and I know that we, we're a great team. So would you be willing to come in there and help me? Julie, you know, I think you've got it. You're so good at running groups. Like, I think I think you should just go for it. You're awesome at this. You don't need me. Thanks. I mean, I know that you know that I'm so great. <laughs> <laughs> and we do work well together, though. And today, I just think that we together as a team is what that group really needs. And I think it would be great. You, you've you helped me in this kind of way in the past. And I know that you're available during that hour. I looked on your calendar. So I'm a little confused. Well, you know, Julia, you know, I just, I feel like I need to work on some of my prep for doing some talks today. Mm-hmm. So I just, you know, I, I really could use that time to do those talks. I know those are really important to you. And I just really, I'm getting even more confused though, because this just seems like something that could work in there. And I'm really just asking pretty simply for something that it'll only be maybe even half an hour. What about that? Yeah. Like half well, an hour? Julie, of the I'm not feeling that awesome right now. Like I just, I'm just starting to get a headache and I, I just, I'm not, I'm sorry, but I'm just like not feeling that good right now. And I just, I feel like you could really do this, Julie, on your own. And okay. I'm just, I'm not doing so hot. Okay. I I still really <laughs> think that we could do it together. And that's what's needed. If I look at the big picture of you and I as a team at Opal. But Julie, like, you mean. know, you know me. And I feel like you know how hard these talks are for me. And if you really, like, if you're a really good friend of me in this moment, you would just let me. I'm just, like, really struggling right now, Julie. Yeah. And you're not like taking care of me. How did we how did we get this <laughs> far in this ha- what, I'm jumping we? in because this is very emotional. 
<laughs> Kara's almost crying. <laughs> and cut. Yes. I'm wow. a good I'm a good What actress. a show. <laughs> <laughs> so what I was just observing in Kara's body language during that whole time mm-hmm. was she was like kind of biting her nails and like furrowing her brow and then she stopped making Slumping eye contact over. with Julie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Slumping over eventually basically crying mm-hmm. <laughs> right here in the studio. Pouting. Yeah, lots of pouting. Like, you seem to just be withering away mm-hmm. as Julie kept asking you direct questions, mm-hmm. but you never said no. Exactly. You never directly said no. Exactly. So I'm curious if the listeners <laughs> can can spot this. So these don't hurt me's are subtly disguised to appear like pain reactions. Mm-hmm. I right? was getting pulled in. I, I was a little like, <laughs> I mean, Kara, these talks are hard for Kara, and I don't know. Maybe yeah. I can just back off. So that's why I made it 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they are paired with unwarranted self-conscious emotion. So like what Carter was just saying, she could see me biting my nail, lowering my head, not making eye contact, starting to tear up. And they can occur without awareness. Like this can just be habitual. So the idea, I think, in summary, would be that you seemed incredibly fragile enough that Julie would back off of asking you anything. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Instead of me just saying no to her. Which is pretty effective. But it's also going to wind up being that Julie winds up emotionally caretaking for you. Yes. Even if the interaction's over at that point. Like, it's not two people having a mutual conversation. Right. And if you guys were, as you are, in a relationship of some kind that matters, you're not going to feel probably very good about that, Mm -hmm. Julie, are you? No. Yeah, the teamwork piece, it would not feel like we're working (laughs) as a team. Yeah. If I'm taking that at face value, I'm going to follow up and be like, how are you doing? Like, it really seemed like your headache and you were really uh, having a hard time. And like my caretaking nature, too, would kind of draw into that. And that's not actually what you needed. Right. And you actually needed something, Julie. You needed some help with the group in I that did. scenario. So now not only did you never get an actual response from Kara, right. but you also wound up taking care of her instead of you. Right. Mm-hmm. You were the one that came with the need. Came with the need. <laughs> exactly. And so one of the things that I think can get a little tricky or confusing is how is this different than yeah. actually somebody being in an emotional like mm-hmm. pain place, right? That somebody is responding to that versus a don't hurt me response. And so We can offer some key differences so that you can tell, like, when somebody is in a don't hurt me response versus what what would the other be called? Just a typical direct 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 experience. Yeah, direct human experience. Mm -hmm. And the ways you can tell a difference is that there's a longer duration. So you might see me just kind of staying folded over and, you know, like, looking fragile for a longer period of time so after that would this be interaction. More genuine. No, that wouldn't be genuine. Okay. That would be indicative of a more don't hurt me. So let's see what a pushback sounds like. Put on my acting skills. I know. Here, here it goes. <laughs> Start. So, Kara, uh, this afternoon it turns out that I am alone in this one group and I'm looking for someone to help co-lead it with me. Would you be willing to join me in that? No, I don't want to do that. Okay. Wow. Uh, sometimes we have to do what we don't want to do. Is well, there a yeah, possibility Julie, that you, you can, can help? do you? You can figure it out. You're perfectly capable. Wow. Okay. Uh, 
this is, I'm like wanting to be like, that's not how we usually roll, Kara. <laughs> Julie, you're strong enough to figure it out. Okay. You're going to leave this to me to figure out. Okay. Yeah. You, you're strong. You, you got it. Well, you're being extra. Well, okay. I don't want to lead with you anyways. <laughs> That's all, I'm doing another pushback to you. That was icy. <laughs> I don't know how to respond. Would I, I mean, the reality is, as a person in that position, I don't, I just want to walk away. So I think that's the whole point of the pushback is that like, people just disengage. Yes. And I, so I'm done with the conversation. I'm like, I don't know what else I would say other than you're being really mean and I'm done with you. Mm-hmm. So bye bye. So it worked. That was effective. <laughs> yeah. Pushed me back. It did. <sighs> So what's the what's the middle ground here? What's the alternative to mm. just? I let's, mean, what does speaking directly look like? Yeah, let's yeah. practice. I'm that. sure some I people know it, but some we do that a lot. <laughs> some people know. Kara tells me know a lot. All right, take three. Okay, Kara. Uh, this afternoon, it turns out that I am alone in group, and I'm looking for a co-leader. Would you be willing to join me? I think we'd be a great team, as we always are. Could you join me? Um, so I was planning to work on my talk for the event coming up. Mm-hmm. So I I was planning to use that time. So I would I'd prefer to not join you. But can okay. you tell me a little bit more if you really need my help? Yeah. Let's think. Is there a way that you can help me think through who else might be available? Or Oh yeah. I could else? totally send an email to staff and and try yeah. to hook you up with another co leader. Okay. okay. Yeah. I can think creatively about that. Okay. Thanks, Julie. I appreciate yeah. I appreciate that. You know, I guess would just let you know that I would love to have you in there because you're the person I would probably trust the most to co-lead this with me. But I'm just wondering how I could have gotten you to join me in yeah, the future. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand that you would want me in there and that's okay. a disappointment to not have me in there. So mm-hmm. I, I see that that's disappointing yeah. to you. Totally. And I can't join you today, but I'm sorry for that because I know yeah. that that's disappointing to not have me with you. Okay. Thanks for saying that. Mm-hmm. I know. It is a disappointment, but I can do it. Okay. Yeah. You go, girl. Thanks. Wow. How did that feel? It felt uncomfortable to me, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that that has something to say. I mean, that speaks to my own Mm -hmm. discomfort probably in being direct. Totally. Because I can say that, but I would probably apologize or Mm -hmm. still try to be really empathetic around Julie's experience and Mm -hmm. to – Say what I need, but also cushion it. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that I try to balance that. I, I don't think that I'm being indirect as much as I used to be, but I do think that I'm certainly cushioning things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that it's more palatable for the other person when I say no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's my hope. <laughs> so yeah. there's something disarming to me about just hearing I can't. Yeah, totally. And I think that that, to me really feels like a place where I'm feel socialized to mm. be palatable mm. and to maintain relationship over anything else and to be kind and to communicate how hard it is to say no and <laughs> what a sacrifice that is and oh if only I could and mm. to me that feels like some of my socialization as a woman mm. Especially as a therapist, too, I think that I'm probably leaning more toward the empathy. Um, the empathy and the emphasis on empathy and understanding in my life, which is good. But what did you think about then in the end where I was like, I know that this is disappointing for you? I think that it can be effective to say that. And also something about the language still rubs me the wrong way because mm-hmm. then it's more 
about Julie than you saying no mm-hmm. or something. I don't know. It's interesting because when we just did that, I was thinking I use that a lot in my parenting is when I say no to something because there's so many things I'm saying no to. Yeah. Especially when I know it's something that one of my daughters really wants. I will typically say no and then say, and man, I I know like if I were you, I'd be so upset right yeah. now because I would want that so badly and mm-hmm. I can totally relate to that. And so like I know that that would just like mm-hmm. suck to hear the no right now because you'd want it so bad. Yeah, that feels good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she nice. and, and that really like I feel like what I notice in her personally, I think especially with my oldest daughter is that. She feels heard. Like, she feels like she's known in it. So I'm still giving her the no, and she's still disappointed. And she sees that I'm understanding what it's like. And I really do put myself in her shoes because I I like getting what I want, too. So I I know that it's a blow. It actually just happened yesterday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you two could see places where you notice kind of where you're socialized to be more indirect? I mean, you two are both business owners. I used to be way more indirect. It's hard to even place where I've become more direct in my adulthood. But I mean, when I think about how I was (laughs) in high school and college, I was incredibly indirect. I mean, I had an eating disorder, too. So, like, there was a lot of suffering kind of inside and where I think a lot of people wouldn't have known actually how I was feeling because I I wasn't directly communicating my own suffering or I wasn't direct in terms of negotiating in relationship. I wasn't direct with what I wanted or where my boundaries were or <laughs> any of it. I mean, I was very indirect. I honestly, I don't totally know how I've grown. And I mean, I don't know. I, a part of it is knowing myself more, I think, and knowing what... I've wanted and needed and feeling like that's important enough to assert myself. But and then learning that interpersonally you can do it in a way that still maintains relationships because relationships are so important to me. But finding that you can successfully do that, you can maintain relationship and have kind of self-respect. I think that being socialized as a woman, there's such an emphasis on relationship and trying to be able to empathize with the other's experience. And I would imagine if I also wasn't a white woman, too, there would be more layers to that Mm -hmm. around empathizing to white people's experiences and maybe more of a male experience, too. There's so much that I think we're asked to hold of other people's experiences that there's not a lot of space sometimes to just say, this is what I think. This is what I want. This is how I want to do it. Mm -hmm. And so to get your needs met, sometimes it is functional to be indirect. Mm -hmm. I mean, just thinking about the amount of stereotypical female but somewhat badass characters in movies where or TV shows where they're able to be powerful mm-hmm. because they're manipulative. Mm-hmm. It's rare that you actually get to see a woman just be powerful and people respond to that well. Right. I was thinking of Downton Abbey. I don't know why I had Mary <laughs> in my mind, but like she's a really direct character if anyone's seen that. But she... She also uses her power in relationship to other people. Mm-hmm. And some of that is what allows her to have some of the success interpersonally right. and to get her own needs met. So I just I don't think that it's it's often the case that we're actually celebrated for being direct. Direct. 
One thing that I was thinking of on the flip side of it is that if somebody is trying to caretake or please the other as someone in relationship with them, there is something of desire to know what that person actually wants. Like it's attractive to me to know where somebody stands and what they what their desire is, what they want, then I have a person to relate to. And as long as they can do that without bypassing everybody else's experiences and feelings, I think that's super attractive. Definitely. One of the things that comes to my mind is that to be able to, what do I say, like stay calm in a direct communication moment, like to be direct, to be clear, to ask for what you want requires self-understanding of what you want, even to start. And I don't think that that is always natural for people to know what they want. And I think that people that do maybe have more of a process of being able to be direct and also not be emotional about it, if, if that makes sense. Like, I think for my experience, I think there are times where I'm like already kind of in a interaction and then I realize, oh, wait a minute, I should have said no, or I'm not saying something directly, but then I'm already in it. (laughs) So I just think those that have the natural ability to kind of have that knowledge of, I know what I want. And so therefore, I have that split second or maybe even a minute to think about how I'm going to say that to somebody that will be able to be well-received. I think that that's where I've gotten myself into trouble sometimes. You're not taking that second. Yeah, or I don't even know that I wanted that, and then I'm already saying, yes, uh, that's okay. No, that or, you know, mm-hmm. yes, I'll do it, and then I didn't realize what that actually meant. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what that all meant to my day, that I just said yes to that when I should have said no based on everything else I knew oh. about my day. I don't know. If I was thinking, if I flipped the scenario back to me, yeah. yeah, I might be able to say, oh, yeah, of course, totally, because I can more err on the side of that. But then... I eventually will recognize, oh, wait, that's right. I wanted to get A, B, and C done, and now because I said yes to that, I can't. But I don't always have that insight mm-hmm. in the moment of the ask. And the relationships in front of me, the person's in front of me, my empathy, like you were mentioning, Carter, like is just goes quickly to, yes, mm-hmm. I can help you. One thing you're saying is like in retrospect, you might have realized you should have said no to something. In the moment, if it's hard to connect to something that somebody wants, I think one trick that's practical can be the pause. Like, let me get back to you on that. Because I think in those, like for me, I can connect to stuff I want, like my emotion really quickly or what I want really quickly in a split second. But I know a lot of people can't do that. And so to have that, create that pause of saying, I'm not sure, let me get back to you. Give me a second, whether that's five minutes, whether that's responding in the next hour, the next day can be a really helpful tool to create that space to yeah. check in. Yeah. Because you are checking in with yourself when you're doing it, right? And yeah. I've used that with you all yep. lately as an employee, <laughs> right? Yep. To be able to take space to have conversations and then go back and kind of think through all that's happening for me or what my needs would be or what my ask would be or how I'm doing with one of your requests or something like that. And for me, that's a really helpful thing, when, especially if I know that I'm negotiating, not just trying to figure out what my feelings are, but there's there's a power dynamic between us, too. So there's an extra element of wanting to people please or not wanting to be too direct or do something wrong mm-hmm. or like I know you have 
you guys are so kind, but you have power too. Mm -hmm. You have more power than me. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to be able to take that space to figure out how to negotiate that. That power dynamic maybe speaks to some of what I was saying earlier about socialization as well in all these different spheres where if you're a woman of color or a woman in front of a man or whatever, you there's going to be different layers that you're kind of needing to negotiate in order to find your actual need and then figure out how to communicate it in a way that's going to be effective for you. Because sometimes doing the like most direct thing in the moment isn't always the best. Like, I think that that's a nuance to me that's important here too, right. that you can't just say all the time everything that you mean or everything right. that you feel, right? right? That there's there's considerations to make, but it's important to also take the space to know what you want and how you feel and what you would want to communicate. Mm-hmm. For sure. I was thinking back to your socialization question, and I think for me the gender thing hasn't been as much a part of my story because I think my dad did give me a lot of power, and I remember that from teen, like teen years on. He didn't communicate any type of less than from a gender side. And so I do think that that's impacted me when it comes to my own sense of power when I'm around men. And I also relate to being aware of being able to use like the asexuality for power as an indirect way and being really sensitive to that. That actually makes me feel less powerful to use something that I don't have control. Like I don't feel a sense of control over my, you know, my appearance what I do with my appearance, I have control over, but I've tr- I know that that's something that I have intentionally not wanted to use as my sense of power because it makes me feel actually disempowered. Mm. I think that the socialization of needing to be smaller in some way can happen in really subtle ways because I don't think I ever overtly got the message that, like, I can't do something because I'm a woman or I can't. But in my family, my my parents were very much equals and in some ways even some gender roles were reversed mm-hmm. and others not. But, you know, it kind of a mix of things. And so I, I feel like just being in the world I've picked up so much just around how to communicate and if that's okay. Like, honestly, even when I listen to the podcasts, these podcasts, mm-hmm. <laughs> and hear my voice, I can hear my thought process as I listen to an episode and remember, oh, I was thinking this or I was feeling this in that moment. And then to notice what I actually wound up saying, the mismatch so mm-hmm. often is huge. I'm saying one thing because I have a thought, but I'm kind of wanting to soften it so it can be introduced well. People are going to start listening to the podcast and notice this all the time. But like, I think I soften or cushion my statements or my questions sometimes when I initiate them. And I don't find it to be very powerful when I listen to myself. And I get confused because I'm thinking I in my head it sounded so different. Hmm. And what was I doing in that moment instead to make sure that it went okay or hmm. – I didn't say something too strongly or I didn't have too much of an opinion mm-hmm. on stuff that I have huge opinions about. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Just, yeah, it's interesting mm-hmm. to hear. Ooh, uh, Carter unplugged. Right? Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I a friend one. was actually interviewing me yesterday, not on a podcast, but for a paper he was writing. And I found myself like so much zippier. And I was like, this is interesting to mm-hmm. be on the other side of this and just a little, a little more unplugged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, and it, it points to some of that internal, the internal dialogue that's going on as you're in relationship with people. Right. And I do think there is a gender socialization yeah. with that, yeah. of holding that awareness of other people and how does this get perceived and that kind of level of processing. I think, you know, John Medina, the brain researcher in Seattle, I went to one of his talks and he talked about the gender differences of um, that women do the first order of thinking and the second order of thinking of like the meta communication and men stay way more on the surface of the just the observable communication. And that's being found to be true in research when they're when they're researching the brains. Like I think they I think people refer to it as emotional labor, you know, like the emotional labor of all the thinking that a woman might do. Yeah, I mean, then I, I think of all the other things you're talking about, too, of, like, what it would be like to be a different race and all all the different places. You're having to work through so many different layers of communication, layers of the world is what I want to mm-hmm. say. Like, mm-hmm. not just filtering through my own experience, I'm filtering through yours, I'm filtering through a more societal understanding of something, what I understand to be the norm, what's going to get me in trouble, what's not going to get me in trouble, what's going to allow me to have this versus mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. How can I filter my own needs, culture, preferences, feelings in order to be palatable or understood? Right. With God, the the amount of burden in that would be huge. Right. Yeah. And, and a main premise of RODBT is to think about what's effective again, right? So then what's effective communication, that's where that nuance can come in around kind of where it might make sense to be more indirect or direct. Mm -hmm. And these don't hurt me's and pushbacks are more typically ineffective for setting boundaries, essentially. I think that that's very true. And, and, And as you said it, I think especially on the tail end of talking about kind of how different people's positionalities would impact kind of all these different layers of of directness. It's sad. It's sad to yeah. think about how much you might need to be indirect in order to be received mm-hmm. in the world. Totally. Like that, that's a huge loss that so you couldn't actually just be emotional <laughs> to begin mm-hmm. with, right? Like mm-hmm. that is also some of the function of what we're talking about too. One thing that I'd want to add before we end to is just back to eating disorders as indirect communication. You, mm-hmm. you mentioned oh, yeah. that earlier, Kara. Yeah. How do you all see that? Even before being introduced to RODBT, I kind of always saw the eating disorder as a voice of something for somebody and trying to understand what the function is for somebody. And it's not about food and body and appearance, right? It's like, what's, what, are they, what is somebody indirectly communicating by their eating disorder? We talked about at the training how the actual behaviors at mm-hmm. the table at Opal reflect indirect communication yeah, as a dietitian that does sit in, you know, several meals a week at Opal, the experience of how somebody coming into a meal and having a hard time completing the food, eating the food, and maybe showing emotional distress or some indirect communication that might be sort of moving the food around on a plate or eating food in a particular order or you know these things that we would call eating disorder behaviors, quote unquote, that at a table at an eating disorder treatment program, we're going to we're going to redirect, we're going to acknowledge and then ask somebody to change their behavior to have it be not indirectly communicating something, <laughs> just be eating in a normal fashion. And when, you know, there oftentimes people will come in with a don't hurt me. Maybe in a bit of an implosion, kind of how Kara was behaving earlier, just like consistently showing emotion and this distress and this is too hard. And for 
our approach to it is just allowing for people to come back to their humanity and say, wait, no, I, I know that you're struggling with an eating disorder and you are human, therefore you eat, and we know that you are capable of eating. Uh, you might have a lot of distress, which you're then showing us with this indirect way of moving the food around or having emotions at the table, but we're going to ask you to take this type of courage and eat and participate and feed your body. And so that's a place where we do see often the eating disorder being indirect in a moment and then us as a staff having to kind of come in to push somebody to, no, let, let's let's take the step to actually eat and choose recovery. And that directly, we would say that that then directly communicates to the others at the table that, yes, they are continually taking the step to say, I want recovery. I do want to be a part of this treatment program because this is our rule is that you have to eat and complete the food. So it's directly joining this group again and directly again saying, I can do this. One thing I'd maybe point out in that as well is that there's an assumption that the clients would want to directly communicate and probably stay in the community in the relationship, like you're saying, that it's Absolutely. communicating a desire to be maybe connected or following the rules mm -hmm. or participating in the cultural norm of the treatment center. Yes. And yet, at the same time, you're so right that eating disorder has functioned in all these ways and, and maybe created a voice where there wasn't one. And so that space of not understanding what you want seems to be kind of where we are again, where a client might be able to move into really being able to just eat normally. But if they don't know what they're doing with that indirect communication yet, or they don't know what they're actually desiring, or they haven't even necessarily imagined yet that they could communicate their distress to someone and it would be received, then you've got a lot of work to do Absolutely. in the middle ground to understand how that voice can be used and how the eating disorder itself might actually be effective in a way to get understood, even though it will be so detrimental. Mm -hmm. And so translating that is, it seems to be in line with that idea of like understanding more and more and doing that work of what, who are you? What do you want? What do you need? How do you want to be in relationship? And how can you communicate yourself in order to get that that's going to be helpful for you and the people that you want to be with? Yeah. Too. Yeah, I think that it kind of speaks to the, we would say that there's other contexts for expressing that confusion or I don't even know what I want. I don't know who I am. Like there is a different context for that. That's process group or, <laughs> right? Or yeah. that's individual therapy, but it's not the mealtime. It has to stop being the place where that's being expressed. And we're trying to block that, right? Yep. <laughs> to then say, we, I guess we are okay validating emotion and saying that right there, you're feeling something. We want to know more about that. And we believe you can eat through emotion. So, yes, you're feeling it. Please take that into the next group <laughs> and right. talk about it. Yeah. But please don't act it out on the plate. So I, I'm just thinking here as I'm sitting, what's the invitation for our listeners? And I think we're saying two things. One is there might be work that you identify in terms of knowing what you want and what you need. So some of that self-work, and that might be starting with connecting, syncing up to your values to help guide you in identifying things that you want. And then once you know more of your wants and needs and it comes to communication, just catching maybe it is a social experiment of looking at the ways that you communicate and identifying whether they're more in the indirect side of things or more direct. And if they are indirect, Maybe practicing with somebody close in your life of being more direct and seeing how that goes. I like those suggestions. 
<laughs> well, thank you all so much for listening today. If you want to learn more about Opal, any of our resources or programming, visit us online at opalfoodandbody.com. You can also follow along with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, all under Opal Food and Body. If you want, please leave us any reviews, comments, subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already so you are aware of any new episodes being put out there. And we hope that you join us next time. Thank you so much to Jackstraw Cultural Center for sound engineering, to Hans Anderson for editing, and to Aaron Davidson for the Appetite's original music. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time.